reading from the prophecy of Amos. This is in chapter 7, verse 7. If you've been a Christian for a while, this phraseology that's used here is going to be familiar to you. All right, you've probably heard these, these uh, words used expressed in different contexts before. You probably recognize some of it. We've read a portion of this previously while studying this series, but I'm going to read it in, in, in almost its entirety now. This is Amos' vision that he saw concerning the judgment coming upon Israel. Remember, Amos is what they call a seer. He was a seer. And Amos says, Thus God showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said to me, What do you see, Amos? And I said, I see a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel. That means he's going to measure, he's going to divide. I will spare them no longer, God says. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed, desolated, and the sanctuaries of Israel will be laid waste. Those were the places of false worship. Then I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Remember, Jeroboam is the king now. Jeroboam II, as Jonah was alive. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, the kings of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure his words. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer! Flee away to the land of Judah, that's the southern kingdom, and eat, eat bread there, and do your prophesying there, but no longer prophesy at Bethel, for it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. No, Bethel was a place of false worship. Then Amos replied to Amaziah the priest, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. How is that for humility? But the Lord took me, Amos says, from following the flock. And the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord, you are saying, You shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus says the Lord, This is the prophecy from Amos, Your wife will become a harlot in the city, Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword, Your land will be parceled up by the measuring rod, Remember the plumb line, and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. That means you'll be taken captive into a Gentile uh, region. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. It's a done deal, Amos says, due to their disobedience. In Israel, the northern kingdom that we're talking about, I have a map to kind of give you a, an idea of what we're looking at here. The northern ten tribes existed in the reddish area, and that varied from year to year as there were wars and, and they struggled with Assyria over control of the land. You can see Damascus there. The land of exile beyond Damascus is to the east, and uh, that would be Nineveh, to the east. The two southern kingdoms there and Judah and Benjamin are in the south. So that's the region we're looking at there uh, of this northern Israel that is being compromised and prophesied against. Jonah uh, knows they're going into captivity. They're going to be taken to, uh, to Assyria captive, and he ends up becoming a catalyst for all this. 
Jonah the prophet to Jeroboam, the prophet to the northern tribes, is going to have to play a part. He's going to be a catalyst. And in some sense, I bet that, that Jonah feels like a traitor to his own nation, his beloved nation. You might compare that, if, if you would like, to the Ohio State quarterback, J.T. Barrett. And if he were to take his game plan, all of their plays, and deliver them over to Clemson, that evil nation, and say, here's our game plan. This is what we've been doing. This is what you are to do. And, and that will spell the rise of Nineveh at the expense of Israel. That's what we're looking at here. Nineveh is evil. Their morals are corrupt. They're disorganized. We've been studying that. In fact, I would suggest over the next couple times we look at this passage, that in chapter 3, verse 8, it implies their society had denigrated so far that they're near anarchy. They're losing control of their nation. And if a society has degenerated to that level we discussed last week, Sodom and Gomorrah, um, I think the king of Nineveh that we'll look at next time, I think he's kind of glad to see Jonah arrive. I think he's actually finally glad to see someone to bring some reason and some rationale into this, and that's why he issues his decree, as we'll look at next time. People wouldn't have listened to authority. There probably was little regard for discipline. How do you coach your team to go in and and, uh, capture uh, a nation like Israel? How could the king of Nineveh, the king of Assyria, do that when your own players are staying up all night partying? No, there had to be some organization. God decides to clean them up through warning them of judgment. They're going to be judged. That's what we studied last week. In Jonah chapter 3, our passage today, verses 5 through 10, tells us what happened. It said, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. Both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let every man call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from his violence which is in his hands. Who knows, the king says, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them And he did not do it. We discovered last Sunday how how these people in Nineveh, they acknowledged, they knew their their behavior was wicked. Verse 4 demonstrates that Jonah had just entered the city one day's walk. Had just entered it. And and they're already repenting. They're already responding. They immediately believed God's word through the prophet and realize their behavior was so grotesque that God's judgment of total calamity was the appropriate sentence. Nineveh said, Jonah, that would be appropriate for what we've done. We have to ask ourselves, do we believe that about ourselves? Do we believe that there should be a sentence 
for what we have done. It's very important for our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does your sin, each one of us, you, myself, does your sin demand, does it merit the severest of judgments? Even judgment by crucifixion and death on a cross. Do you merit that? Or do you dismiss it as a very little thing? Is your sin a very little thing? The prophet Isaiah, whom I would assume was as righteous or probably more righteous than any of us standing here today, he was awestruck when he was given a vision of the, th- of the throne of God. He was struck in fear, actually, receiving this vision in Isaiah 6.1. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. So God is so holy that, that heavenly hosts of angels surround him in his majesty. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of Him who called out, while the temple was being filled with smoke. Then I said, says Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King the Lord of hosts. The holiness of God struck him. And he feared. He feared because as he saw how holy God is, he saw how sinful he was. And and it's amazing that he admits about himself and Israel, the people of Israel, we are a people of unclean lips. Do we think that of ourselves? Have you ever heard the account of the first person in Scripture who blasphemed the Lord's name. The account's in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 10, and it tells us this. Now the son of an Israelite woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the sons of Israel, and the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel struggled with each other in the camp. So there was a fight. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name, meaning of God, and cursed So they brought him to Moses, and then parenthetically it says this, Now his mother's name was Shilomith, the daughter of Debri of the tribe of Dan. So we see this is very much a historical event. This really happened. And it continues, it says, They put him in custody so that the command of the Lord might be made clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the one who is cursed outside the camp, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, Then let all the congregation stone him. You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If anyone curses his God, then he will bear his sin. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All uh, All the congregation shall certainly stone him. The alien as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Verse 23, Then Moses said to the sons of Israel, spoke to the sons of Israel, and they brought the one who had cursed outside the camp, and they stoned him. Do we see how holy God is? Do we understand how unrighteous we are? 
do we minimize grace and tell ourselves, you know, we're really not that bad? In fact, I'm really a good person underneath. Or do we need the grace of God? Even after using God's name in vain just once, Scripture says we deserve death, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. These passages back in Isaiah and other places in Leviticus, they shouldn't strike uh, fear in us each time we slip up like we'd be walking on eggshells. Christ doesn't want us walking on eggshells. They're to make us realize how amazing God's grace is. How wonderful His love is to take that punishment for us. It magnifies grace. And uh, you don't need to be a murderer to deserve hell and judgment. But we each need to recognize that we deserve death on a cross. Separation from God. The danger is that those who make very little of their own sin, like it's a small thing, they make very little of their Savior. Christ is a great Savior. And the Ninevites, as we also should, recognize they deserve judgment from a righteous God. They're like, we deserve it. We deserve it, so they repented. But now a message of God's grace being extended beyond Israel has reached them. Christmas is likewise a reminder that the grace of God extended beyond Israel to the Gentiles. In Luke 2, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we, we find in verse 8, it says, In that same region where he was born, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Notice the shepherds were even f- afraid of this glory of God that was illuminated from the angel. You think back to Moses when he came down from Sinai, his face shone. Anyone who's been in the presence of God is illuminated by God's glory. But the angel, angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of the great joy which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel says this, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to, be, glory to God in the highest and on earth God's goodwill towards men. Notice the angel said, the baby Jesus here, it's a sign of the times. Notice the sign. A Savior is born. And later in the same chapter, Joseph and Mary, this is later on now, they're taking Jesus to present him at the temple in Jerusalem. And in verse 25 of Luke 2, a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And Simeon came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus in, now he's a child, no longer a baby, 
to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he took him, Simeon took Jesus into his arms and blessed God and said, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Is that good news for us? Amen. And the glory of your people Israel, Simeon says, and his father and mother, that's Mary and Joseph, were amazed at the things which were being said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. He told Mary, And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. We see the child again now. The child Jesus is a sign of the times. There's going to be a sign. Simeon said he's going to be a sign that's going to be opposed. Was Christ opposed? So a child is born, a Savior is given, and twice in this passage of the Christmas story, we, we hear there's a sign Both the angel and Simeon say there's a sign. And the question is, what is that sign of the times? What's the sign? We'll see it's the sign of Jonah. We observe in the sign of Jonah, or or the sign of Jonah in chapter 3, verse 5 of our passage today. And verse 5 is as far as we're going to get today. Alright? We're not going to get very far. It says this, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. The Gentiles in Nineveh believed in God. And the news of salvation, it had been taken now outside of Israel. The good news has gone outside of Israel. In fact, Jonah is the only prophet from Israel who was ever commissioned to go outside of its borders and speak to a foreign nation. He went to the Gentiles. And Jonah's prophecy, or his word given to Nineveh, it was a sign of judgment on Israel. Remember, Israel is being set aside. They're going into captivity and a sign of salvation for the Gentiles. The Gentiles would believe. So this sign of Jonah was given over 750 years before Christ was born. Then being ultimately fulfilled through Christ, this sign becomes the reason that we American Gentiles celebrate Christmas in Florida. We've been given the sign. And the sign of Jonah... It's a picture of, the, picture of the mystery of the gospel that we read earlier. It's fulfilled in Christ. Israel didn't really understand the full inclusion of the Gentiles. They didn't get it. It was foreign to them. Though there were pictures of it, there were types of it in the Old Testament, they couldn't figure that out. And as Simeon prophesied, Jesus became a sign to be opposed. You know, even, even Jonah himself, as he went to speak to Nineveh, him being a a devout Israelite, he didn't want to take the sign to the Gentiles. Jonah himself, he opposed it. It was a message of judgment on Israel. Amos, he was opposed. Go away, seer. We don't want to hear your message. And now God's own son, the, the rightful heir to David's throne, by the way, Christ should have been sitting on David's throne, He would have been the king that would have established justice in the land of Israel if the people would receive him. 
if they would receive Him. He comes now uh, onto the human scene, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and, and He's lying in a manger, humbly, and immediately He's opposed by King Herod. Immediately. Herod wants to kill baby Jesus. You've got an illegitimate king of Israel. He wants the legitimate king of Israel gone. He wants him off the scene. Well, who is it that arrives in Bethlehem, bows down to worship Jesus, bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Magi, right? The Gentiles. The Gentiles from a faraway land come and worship the Christ. Shepherds came and worshipped. Humble shepherds. Later, some Galilean fishermen. And salvation through Jesus Christ, the gift of God, is offered to all who have a humble heart who want to receive forgiveness for their sins. And after Christ's resurrection, the Apostle Paul, he even reminds the church in Corinth, again Gentiles, the city of Corinth, tells them about the good news in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, saying, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. doesn't say not any noble, but not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, says Paul. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, so that no one may boast before God, but by His doing, meaning by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to to us the wisdom from God, and the righteousness, and the sanctification, and the redemption. So it is written, let him who boasts Boast in the Lord. God sent His Son into the world through a manger humbly. He used the foolish, the weak things of the world to shame those who in their own estimation were really wise. They really thought they were something. And then Christ grew in stature. He called twelve Jewish men to follow Him for three years as His disciples And then Jesus offered Israel the kingdom through their preaching. He offered it to Israel. Jesus sent them out in Matthew 10. To whom? To Israel. First Christ's kingdom was offered to the Israelites. He told the apostles, do not go the way of the Gentiles. Don't go to the Gentiles. And do not enter any city of the Samaritans. Remember the Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. Don't go there either. But Jesus says, But rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So they're preaching, offering the kingdom. Is that a legitimate offer by Christ to Israel? Say yes. Yes. For the most part, how did Israel respond? Rejected them. They said, nah, no thanks. No. After all, aren't these men, they're just Galileans, right? I have a map here of Galilee. It's to the north. Up there, the the upper body of water is the Sea of Galilee. That's the region of Galilee. 
And I'd like you to take note in the pink there, if you can see it, right in the center at the far top, are Naphtali and Zebulun. Those are two tribes up, up in northern Galilee, right by the Sea of Galilee where we saw so many wonders uh, given by Christ. That's the region, region that we're looking at here of Galilee. It was mostly despised by Israel. And uh, those who were in Judah, that southern kingdom, they didn't like Galilee. Partially, you had to go across Samaria or around Samaria to get there. They didn't want to go there. Uh, It consisted primarily of pastures, shepherds, fishermen. In fact, it was sometimes referred to as the Galilee of the Gentiles. Up in that region, you can see how they would be so often... um, taken advantage of and uh, by Assyria and foreign armies. That would be the first place that people would come and the first place that would fall to the Gentiles. It wasn't a respected area by Judah. And the two farthest north tribes of Galilee, they were Zebulun, Naphtali. Um, So they would often be the first to be raided. But long before our Savior's birth, while referring to Christ, by the way, the prophet Isaiah offers hope to this region up here called Galilee. In chapter 9, verse 1, Isaiah says, But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In the earlier times, God treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, that that is uh, Galilee, treated them with contempt. But later, God shall make make it glorious by the way of the sea and on the other side of the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles, Isaiah says. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. There's going to be a good day, Isaiah said, hundreds of years before Christ comes, and it's going to come out of Galilee. But Israel despised Galilee. God brought it favor. Jesus was from Nazareth where? In Galilee. He chose his disciples from where? Galilee. And he offered his kingdom through simple Galilean fishermen for the most part. He sent them out two by two. Israel said, no thanks. Not interested. So the Galileans weren't cool like us. Are we cool? Do we have to be cool? Or do we have to love Christ and love our fellow man and tell them the truth about Christ? Galileans weren't cool. Um, Galileans proclaimed Christ's majesty, His greatness. Most of Israel didn't want a gospel preached by Galilean simpletons. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, I wish you would all take the opportunity to read through the entirety of chapter 7 when you have time this week. You should read this chapter in full. Jesus was teaching marvelous things to the people. He's in Jerusalem now. The, the crowds are stirring, hearing him. And Jesus says, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And in verse 32, we are told, and this is abridged, I took part of this out because it went so long. In verse 32 we're told, 
The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, about Jesus, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore Jesus said, For a little while longer I am with you. Remember, he had offered them the kingdom. He's telling Israel, Then I will go to him who sent me. Jesus said, You will seek me and will not find me. Of where I am, you cannot come. What does that signify for Israel? Judgment. You will seek me and you will not find me. I offered you the kingdom. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go? Listen to this. This is great. The Jews said, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? The irony here. He's not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? Yep. That's actually what he's going to do. Through the, through the disciples, he's going to the Greeks, to the Gentiles. And again, as with Jonah, this was a sign of the times. A sign of the times, verse 37, it continues, And on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Sound like the woman at the well? But this Jesus spoke, it says, of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And there arose a great division amongst these people that are listening to Jesus. Verse 40 says, Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This certainly is a prophet. Others were saying, This is the Christ. Still others were saying, Surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? So a great division occurred, and the Pharisees, they wanted to arrest Jesus. They even sent officers to do the job. But in verse 45, the officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken in the way this man does. And then, then a, a Pharisee that is named Nicodemus. We read about him earlier uh, in, in the Gospel of John chapter 3. He had previously come by night to Jesus. He steps in. He's a Pharisee now. And he says to them, to the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what it is he is doing, does it? What did the Pharisees say to him? The Pharisees answered Nicodemus, you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search the Scriptures and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. Huh. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He knew the law. He knew the Scriptures. He, he probably did search the Scriptures. And if so, what did he find? Who would he have seen in the Scriptures? What would he have seen? He would have seen the sign of Jonah. A sign of the times. Jonah was a prophet from Galilee. Raised in a, in a small town named Gath-Hefer that was located about three miles outside of Nazareth who took salvation out of Israel to the Gentiles. It was a sign of the times. 
And the Pharisees, you know, they so badly wanted a sign. They, want, they wanted some magic. They wanted a miracle. They wanted to see something. They wanted to test Jesus. What sign did Jesus offer them? Not the one they wanted. Luke eleven twenty nine. This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign. And yet no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Wow. Jesus adds this, The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is right here. Just to prove how totally depraved Israel was, Jesus gave them the answer. It's like being with Alex Trebek. And Alex says, What is Jesus? What is Jonah? He gives you the answer. Look at Nineveh, Jesus said. That's the sign you're going to get. They say, oh, no prophet ever rose out of Galilee. Really? Do you know your Bible? And they still can't get it. They're spiritually dead. And God has already turned his back on them. Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven. Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings... And you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Judgment. Jesus proclaims judgment. So what is the sign of Jonah? The sign is that Israel has been set aside. The Gentiles are grafted in. It is Christmas. A message of repentance has been preached to Israel. They refuse it. A prophet arises out of Galilee, takes the gospel of salvation to the Gentiles. And here we are, just a few days from celebrating his birth. A Savior is born. Simeon said that he was a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That's the pattern. Israel, God's people, get to hear the gospel first. Most reject the good news. Very few Jews come to faith today. Um... Then the gospel goes to the Gentiles. In fact, Paul the Apostle follows this same model as we wrap up here today. In the New Testament, he even follows the same pattern when he starts off. You know, normally when he and Barnabas would go to a new Gentile city as they were going through the area we now now know as Europe, the Roman Empire, he would first find a local synagogue. That was his custom. He would go there on the Sabbath day, which was Saturday, And he'd share the gospel with the Jews first. Let's see if we can go there, look at the scriptures and show it there first. And in Acts 13, he and Barnabas, they were in this Gentile city called Pisidian Antioch. And they they are there on the Sabbath day. Nearly the whole city, it says, has assembled to hear about Jesus. They, They heard a little bit the week before. They're back again. They're like, we want to hear some more about this. And they said... They had heard there was one born the king of the Jews, the Messiah. And many Gentiles were coming to Christ, we learn. And in verse 45 it says, But when the Jews saw the crowds, 
See, the Jews are in their synagogue, and the crowds of the Gentiles are coming. They were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Can you imagine that? Because the gospel had gone to the Gentiles, now you're blaspheming as a Jew. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you Jews first, since you repudiate it and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. What does he say? Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us, Paul says, I have placed you as a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, heard Paul say this, it says they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. They're rejoicing at the king. God appointed many to eternal life. That's the reason you and I can stand here today, folks. That's the reason we're here worshiping. We're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We celebrate the season of Christmas because God's grace is displayed towards us, just humble beggars. By God's plan and appointment, salvation has come to you, me, the Gentiles, just as it did to Nineveh. Jonah was a sign of what was to come. People ask, to what capacity did Nineveh believe? Uh, I've read a lot of commentary. A lot of them question the content of Nineveh's faith. Oh, what did they actually believe? Did they actually turn from their false gods? You know, what did they uh, actually do? Or did they just repent and become better people? Jesus said to Israel in Luke 11, The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Jonah 3.5 says, Nineveh believed. They believed in God. Because of Jesus' statement, I take this to be salvific. They were saved. They're chosen by God and will stand in the judgment of those who have refused to believe. Will you? Will you as well? Have you heeded the sign of Jonah? Have you seen it? Have you accepted it? That sign that salvation has come and been offered to you. Every single one of you. Have you evidence through that, uh, evidence that through a changed life, through a spiritual rebirth, a new life that displays a turning from sin. That's what we will discuss in the next verses, two weeks from now. Or will you stand on the side that gets condemned? That didn't see the sign of Jonah, didn't heed the words of Christ. This Christmas is the time for you to receive the gift of salvation that has been purchased by Christ and offered freely to you. To all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Free of charge. Don't be like Israel. Believe. Don't harden your heart. If you become a Gentile who believes in Christ, you too will become a sign of the times. Let's pray. A precious Father, and our Lord, our Redeemer, Mighty in power, Lord, your, your great in works. We're in awe at the way that you orchestrate human history, Lord, to 
at the appointed time, Lord, draw us in as Gentiles into your redeemed people. As you build a church, Lord God, of of people of every race, color, and creed to come together and worship your precious Son. And Lord, this Christmas, as we reach out to those around us, share good tidings, Lord, and be a good witness and love others. Lord, we pray for them, whether they'd be Jew or Greek or male or females, a slave or Scythian or whatever they are, Lord, we pray that you draw them to you. Lord, that you draw people into your redeemed church, that they would lift up the, the praises of the glories of Christ. Lord, thank you for this week as we prepare next weekend to, to worship again on the day that we celebrate traditionally, Lord, our Savior's birth. It's in his, in his name, that is in Christ's name, that we pray. Amen.